but just go throughout the year, and I want you to tell me something significant that happened in that year. Is that right? Okay. So uh, let's start with something easy. 2020. Yeah, COVID. That, that pretty much. That, that pretty much. That sort of. You can't remember anything else from 2020. At a wedding. How good was that? Brilliant. Okay. So now we're going to go into world-changing events. Um, 1918. World War I. Now, Jeremy, I didn't notice when I said world-changing event. I know the wedding was world-changing for you, okay? <laughs> when is your wedding? The first COVID. Okay. Back to you. Thanks. It's not about you, Mel. <laughs> All right. 19, 19, not, not, not 1919, I was just stuttering. Uh, 1997. I was born. And you were born? A world changing event, something that happened that changed the impact of the world. Two. Wall Street? And also Diana. Who said Princess Diana? Mel. Okay, 1941, Jack, you got this. End of World War II. That's it, exactly. Will oh. Harbour, 19, okay. Um, easy one, 2001. 9-11. 9-11, sorry. <laughs> 1940, who's seen Oppenheimer? I wonder who's seen Oppenheimer, that's the sequel. What happened in 1945? What happened in Japan? Okay, this is not going as well as I hoped. Sorry, Jack, I know you were all pumped for it, but a big letdown. Okay, I'm sure all of us have some significant years to remember. Obviously, Mel remembers the COVID weddings, but maybe you remember the year, hopefully, you remember the year you got married. Hopefully you do. Um, maybe you remember the year. You remember the year where you travelled and you went overseas or you went somewhere. Yeah, that, that was a great time. It's a the year that that we and our family travelled around Australia or went to Fraser Island or, or maybe you've got years that you go. Yeah, that's the year that I remember. Uh, maybe it's the year you had kids. Maybe it's the year you finished high school or the year you finished university. Or maybe you remember the year when something shifted in your workplace or you moved into state or maybe you've got all these events in life that you just go, that was the year I remember it was then that that happened. And so today I want to talk about a specific year that was mentioned by a particular prophet. Um, the prophet's name was Isaiah and he was what we would call a major prophet. Not because he was necessarily any more major than any other prophet. Uh, it's, it's, he's called a major prophet on the whole because he's got one of the longest books. And so they categorised the prophets into groups that were longer books, major prophets, and, but also had a bit more of a speaking to the broader nation than they had minor prophets that tend to be the smaller books in the Old Testament. And so Isaiah was significant in what he prophesied. And so here are some verses that Isaiah, things that I, Isaiah brought to the table. Andre, come on, you got back the other day and they're waiting for the projector to go up. Is it on your list? Thank you. 
<laughs> okay, this is Isaiah. Isaiah, again, a pretty significant prophet, had some pretty significant things to say. He said, all right then. Probably didn't say it like that. I said, all right then. The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Next one, he said, you know this one, bro, a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He, Isaiah was a bit of a big deal. He said some pretty important stuff. He also talked about Jesus' birth, he also spoke about Jesus' death. He would say, and you'd be familiar with this perhaps, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, he was beaten so we could be whole, he was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Isaiah was significant in the life of, of the history of Israel. These two are laughing because they remember the Colin Buchanan song. Who is thinking about the Colin Buchanan song at that point? Baba do Baba. Is that the line? Look. <laughs> Who has no idea what just happened? Colin <laughs> <laughs> Buchanan. All right. So Isaiah prophesied about Jesus' death. What else did Isaiah speak about? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. So, so Jesus, one of Jesus' first sermons, he quoted the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and proclaim that captives will be released and the prisoners will be set free. So Isaiah's a bit of a big deal when you come to the prophets in Israel. Now, if you are a fan of superheroes, do we have any superhero fans here that are prepared to admit it? A bunch of you are, I'm sure. Okay, now, I'm gonna talk a little bit about origin stories. Um, and because we know origin stories for a superhero tend to tell us who they were an event that happened, and then who they became. So, pop quiz for you, what happened to Peter Parker? He got bitten by a radioactive spider and became Spider-Man. I'm just wondering because some people may not know or care about Peter Parker and Spider-Man. How about Bruce Banner? Who knows the original song from the original uh, Hulk? show back in the 70s. Anyone? Little bowl and Ian Newwood. Oh, Bruce Banner. Fell into a gamma ray. Who knows that song? It's a classic. Anyway, we know Bruce Banner's origin story. He fell into a gamma ray and ultimately he would become who? The Hulk. The Hulk, okay. Um, Captain America. Super Serum. Super Serum. He also had an old song from the 70s, isn't there sing that singing? No one, I'm gonna move on. You guys who didn't grow up in the 70s, you missed a lot. Um, backstories, we're talking about Batman. What was Batman's origin stories? What do you want? His parents died. And he witnessed his parents being killed. And so we see all these what we would say are ordinary people had an experience that transformed and changed their life. And so if you know, Isaiah has an origin story. 
And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about it this week and more about it next week. Um, so Isaiah's Oracle story is a little bit scant on personal details. But we, do, we can learn a few things about Isaiah from the first verse of his book. He said, these are the visions that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. He saw these visions during the year when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah. So here we discover a few things about Isaiah. We, we learn that his name means, well, don't tell us that, but his name means Yahweh is salvation. That's what his name means. And we learn that he lived in the southern kingdom of Judah. He likely lived in Jerusalem. If you know the, the history of the nation of Israel, you had uh, David and Solomon who were the, 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 the key kings in Israel's history, the, the golden time of Israel, and the nation was united. After Solomon died, the nation was divided into two. The top nation took up the ten, ten of the tribes were the northern tribes of Israel, and the last two tribes of Judah and Benjamin were the second uh, nation that was formed, that was the tribe of Judah. And so we discover here that Isaiah was speaking to the nation of Judah. Um, we also discover that he was alive for the reigns of four kings. And, uh, and also we discover that he likely had personal access to the royal courts. And, and if you read the rest of the story, you would see that he had access to speak directly to the kings. So during uh, Isaiah's lifetime, he watched the collapse of the northern, remember the northern, ten northern tribes, the nation of Israel? Well, he saw that collapse. He saw the Assyrian Empire come, and in 722 BC, he would see the, uh, the, the capital city of Samaria destroyed, and the nation dispersed, taken away by, uh, by the king of Assyria. And so he watched the northern nation collapse, and then as he, as he watched the southern nation, he watched them struggle. He watched them, uh, well, he watched four kings go through in the, in the southern nation, uh, but, but he also watched the southern, his people, the nation of Judah, he saw them fall into decline and risking the same attack from the enemy and risk the same collapse. He died before the nation of Judah, uh, or Jerusalem, was eventually sacked and destroyed in 586 BC. So he, he occupied a time between the collapse of the north and the collapse of the south. He, he occupied that time. Uh, other things we know about Isaiah, not directly from this verse, but you see it in other verses. We know that he was married, and he had a very special name for his wife. It was the prophetess. Any, anyone want to change their name for their wife? <laughs> and he also had two kids. Um, I'm not going to tell you their names, uh, but, um, but that's all because we know about them, and they're quite prophetic in their names. And so that's pretty much all we know about Isaiah's personal life. And we discover that God would use Isaiah significantly to warn the nation, the southern nation, to warn them about the risk of abandoning God and the value of coming back to God. One of the other passages here says, come let us reason together. God, would, God is desperately uh, trying to get his children to turn his, their attention back on him. Uh, and he's trying to encourage them, even though things may seem to be going from bad to worse, which they were, that God had promised that he'd bring around deliverance and freedom through the Messiah. We talked about those verses he prophesied. Isaiah, even in the midst of chaos and decline, he would say that God is at work, God is the plan, and God is going to bring about something really good. And so that's a little bit who, about who Isaiah was. 
Now I want to turn our attention to the, to the year where everything changed. And we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 6. And we're just going to start at verse 1. It was the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. I'm just going to pause there just for a moment because there's something significant about what Isaiah is saying here, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this down. Something happened. As I said before, with, uh, once David and Solomon died, the nation split into two. And there was northern nation and southern, and there was king after king after king. Good kings that loved the Lord and that would lead the nation through spiritual revival and renewal. Then there were bad kings who worshipped other gods who would take the nation away from serving and loving God. And so Uzziah, he was a good king. He was the tenth king after Solomon. And he was crowned king when he was 16 years old. Who's 16? You know. Joel 16. Who'd want to crown Joel king or Eva king, queen? <laughs> no. We'll do a vote, shall we, Joel? So he, so 16, he was crowned king, and he reigned for 52 years. In fact, he was the longest reigning king, or longest reigning good king, in all of Judah. Uh, the next longest reigning king was a bad king. Um, his name was Manasseh. In fact, it is likely that Isaiah was, it is not written, but it's likely that he was executed under the reign of the evil king Manasseh. So in those, 40, in those 52 years, he led Judah in an incredible program of economic expansion, Growth, success, achievement, and prosperity. This, he was a good king, and, and certainly uh, God's covenant with the nation of Israel is if they love him and serve him, that he would bless them. And then we saw this outworking in the nation of Judah, in the nation of the southern nation of Judah. Um, things were going well for the nation. But Uzziah, although he started off as a good king, he didn't end up as well he would have liked. Um, as well as God would have liked. And so, like so many others before him, and so many others after him, Isaiah allowed pride to enter his heart. In uh, 2 Chronicles we read, but when he had become powerful, this is regarding Uzziah, uh, not Isaiah, this is the king we're talking about. When he had become powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. He sinned against the Lord by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the incense altar. Now you may not think that's a big deal. Now Isaiah just decided to go to church and Uzziah decided to go to church and instead of the priest doing the offer, offering, he decided to do it. But, but in God's ways and God's plans, certainly in the old covenant, God had a way of doing things. And Uzziah thought, I don't need to do it God's way. God's blessing me, things are good, I can do it my own way. And so uh, Uzziah went into the sanctuary of the Lord and he, uh, he stepped out of God's way. And as a result, he was inflicted with leprosy. And, and with any Jew in the Old Testament, if you had leprosy, you were expelled. Expelled out of the temple. Wasn't allowed to worship at the temple anymore. In fact, he was moved to a house outside the city where he would die alone. Good king. Great story. Not such a great ending. And in the years before his death, the, the, the nation started to drift away from God. It became polluted and corrupted. And if you were to read the first five chapters of Isaiah, you would see Isaiah trying to deal with the, the, the nation that was turning their back on God. We see a nation declining in the world where he lived. 
So then we get to chapter 6. We get to the year that King Uzziah died. The year Uzziah died. The nation was a mess. Morally, economically, spiritually. The mighty nation of Assyria had just destroyed the northern capital and had sights set on Jerusalem. Things were tough. Times were hard. People were feeling disappointed, discouraged, uncertain, and they were gripped by fear. What's going to happen there now that the king is dead? They're probably a little worried about what's happening. And I just feel it's a little bit like the world we live in today, even our nation that we live in today. Sure, on some levels, it seems that things are going well. On some levels, people's, uh, for some people, they're doing well financially. For those who don't have any mortgages, they're quite happy about that. They don't care about the interest rates going up as much as those who do have mortgages. You see, we see in the world today, not just Australia, across the globe, we see an increasing gap between those who are, uh, are comfortable, those who are wealthy, to those who are struggling. This was happening in Israel and it's happening today. In some ways, you know, our lives are full of nice stuff. Nice holidays, nice homes, nice cars, and there's nothing wrong with those in any way. But for many people, those things that certainly our nation can cover up the, the brokenness by achievement and, and success and trying to have more and do more and be more. When you scratch and you dig beyond the surface, we discover that people are strained and stressed. I think you know that. But Christ, I mean, it doesn't take long to stop and sit with someone to discover that that they're strained and stressed, and they're busier than ever. Ever, there's this, this never-ending cycle of working and wanting, and working and wanting, and this infiltrates the culture. It infiltrates us as Christians. We fall into the same, can easily fall into the same patterns of working and wanting and getting, and working and wanting and getting, and all of a sudden we find ourselves under the same stressors that the world finds themselves in. Families are fractured. The news feed is never good news. So much uncertainty. People are struggling with mental health. People are struggling with their identity. People are struggling for meaning and value in a messed up world. The nations are divided. The people uh, are in situations where division comes so easily. Offence comes so easily. You can, you can hurt someone by posting the wrong post or saying the wrong thing. And all of a sudden we live in a world that is polarised. And all of this sits under the surface at some level because sometimes things look like on the outside things are going well. This was Isaiah's world. It was the year where things fell apart. It was the year when the foundations were shaking, when the, when the market, stock markets crumbled, when what was familiar had now seemed long ago. For Isaiah, it was a bad time, a shaky time. It was a frightening time. It was the year that King Uzziah died. And so in this year, it's about 739 if you actually want to know. No one's exactly sure, it's around about then. But in that year, in the midst of a great national turmoil, at a, at a place where the leadership of the nation was changing, we discovered God pulls back the veil from heaven to earth. Instead of looking at an empty human throne, God directs Isaiah's attention to another throne. He would see a very different throne. He would see a very different kingdom. 
than the one that is existing in through his natural eyes. And two very different kings. It's back to verse 1. It was the year that King Uzziah died. There's our context. It was a tough, difficult, hard year. It was the year that he died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. I want you to, to realise Isaiah is trying to use human words, limited human words, to describe something which is supernatural. Attending the Lord with a mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, and two they flew. They were all calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundation and the entire building was filled with smoke. This is incomprehensible to me. I, I, I cannot, I can try to imagine some of this, but it's really hard for us to use human words to try to capture the magnificence of God. Because God is breathtakingly powerful, majestic, glorious, holy. And for Isaiah, this wasn't just a thing that someone told him about. This was an experience that he had. It was real, it was very real, and very personal. Because the, the glory, the train of the Lord's robe filled the place where Isaiah was. It filled the temple. The, the glory of God reached Isaiah wherever he was. Would you make note of that? So Isaiah saw two thrones. He straddled across two realms. He lived in two realms. The question I have for us to think about, which throne was real? They were both very real for Isaiah. It's very easy for us, and I think that's what the Lord's wanting us to, what I mean, to hopefully try to get you thinking about. It. It's very easy for us as Christians to sort of read this about God and, and the glory of God and the presence of God. It's very easy for us to think, well, that, that exists in my mind, but, but the stuff I'm facing about is more real to me now. The truth is, Isaiah faced, saw two thrones, one that was empty. But that was very real. And God made him see and discover a throne that was full of God's glory. See, see, on one hand, we are born into this world with its brokenness, with its with its pain, with its mess, with its with its sickness, with its hurts, with its with its uh, aggression. This is the world we're born into with its doubt, with its fear. You know it because you live in it. That's the easy one. You can easily identify the stuff of the world because it's the stuff you're going through. It's the stuff you're facing. It's the stuff you're dealing with. That's the world. That's one of the worlds that we are, we are living in. And that's very easy to see because that's around us. But equally real is the other world that Isaiah saw. When we become a part of God's kingdom and God's family, 
God gives us a new identity in Christ. God, 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 yes, we're born into this natural world, but we become born again into God's kingdom. We become part of His family. See, then our Christian hope. Is our Christian hope, oh, sometimes we think our Christian hope is, uh, my, my, my goal of Christianity, I just want to get to heaven when I die. We think that is our hope. That this, this is the, the ultimate end is for us to go to heaven when we die. And, and I don't find that reflected in Scripture. I think the ultimate Christian hope is looking forward to when God finally and completely reunites heaven and earth. That's God's plan. It was in the Garden of Eden. It's God's presence on earth. And if you look at the first book and the end book of Revelation, you see God's presence in new heaven and a new earth. God's plan is to reunite heaven and earth together, ultimately through Jesus. That's, that's good news. When it will be on earth as it is in heaven, that is good news. Now, we're not there yet. We know that. The time will come when God will make all things new. The time will come when, when we, will, we will experience uh, God's presence in a, such a glorious, infinite, beautiful way that is, that is merged with this world and, and the world has been made new and it's glorious. That time is coming. The, the writers of the, the Gospels and John would talk about that. But until then, I always talk about the now and the not yet. We live in this, this, this difficult space where we straddle between two worlds and, and, and slowly God's plan is to bring the two worlds together where, where the veil is. And sometimes in worship, sometimes, maybe, I don't know if you've experienced it, but sometimes you can just sense and feel that God's, God's opening your eyes to another realm. There's a, a, one of the songs we sing talk about the veil becoming so thin. But we live in two worlds. And we need to learn, while we stand in between the two, how we walk by faith and not by sight. Walking by sight looks at, looks at the world of Isaiah's time, looks at the natural, looks at the, the confusion and the doubt and the fear and the forecast. That's walking by sight. We need to learn how we walk by faith, how we hold those two in tension. We need to learn how to accept God's word over us. Not the words and the lies of this world that are, that are constantly out to pull us down and destroy us. God's word is truth. We need to learn how to anchor ourselves in God's truth. You see, in the world we live in, we're tossed about by the storms and the waves and the wind. But our goal as Christians, our role, is that we can put an anchor into an unshakable kingdom. We can put our anchor of hope in, in, in a world, in a God that is good, and a, and a kingdom that is here and a kingdom that is yet fully to come. That's the tension we live in. And so, I mean, what did Isaiah, what was the outcome of Isaiah's experience of God? Isaiah realized, when, when, when King Uzziah died, Isaiah realized that there is a greater reality than his current experience. Though there's no longer a king in Israel with an empty throne, Isaiah's vision saw that God is still on the throne. I, I feel I'm here to, to encourage one or two or more of you this morning that no matter what your world looks like, there is a greater reality and God is still on the throne. And, and Daniel, thank you for sharing what you did because that gives us a glimpse on, on the reality of the stuff that we face. 
But the reality, God is still on the throne. He is still on the throne. In the king, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw God. That itself's worth trying to get our head around. Isaiah describes it beautifully. In our moments of uncertainty and confusion, the thing that should give us hope is by realizing, you know what? I don't understand what's going on in this world, but I know there's a king in heaven. I know that God is sovereign. I know that he is still on the throne. I know that he is a work bringing good and doing good. Heaven coming to earth. We can experience this. Yes, we, we are yet to fully be. One day we'll experience the fullness of heaven on earth. But today we walk by faith and we, we walk out in confidence in God's word and God's truth and God's character and his nature. And we try to live knowing truth. The thing that gives us hope is realizing God is still on the throne. As I said, there may be someone here this morning who's feeling hopeless. The situation, the circumstance. I want to tell you, God is still on the throne. God is still on the throne. And God's presence is not limited to heaven. Like Isaiah, God's presence, God's power, God's authority, it flows from heaven. It flows from heaven to earth. The train of his robe filled the temple. It flows from heaven into your situation. No matter what you're facing right now, you can find all you need in Jesus. You can find all you need by putting your trust in his words and anchoring, your, anchoring yourself to an unshakable kingdom. That's really quiet today. At least you're not snoring. <laughs> Look, Isaiah's life, I guess this is where I'm going to swim. Hey? Isaiah's life was transformed. We're talking about origin stories. What transformed Isaiah's life? It was an encounter with God. He encountered a supernatural God. And we're going to touch next week on his response to that because it's so amazing. But today I want to finish by making a statement. Then I'm going to ask a question. Ready for that? Make a statement, then I'll ask a question. The statement is, Isaiah did not truly see God until Uzziah died. That's my statement. Isaiah lived a certain amount of time, but it wasn't until the year that King Uzziah died when Isaiah saw God. That's the statement. The question I have, is it possible that you have something in your life that is limiting your view or your experience of God? In other words, is there something in your life that needs to die before you can really see God? good question, isn't it? Maybe it's, you know, King Uzziah's problem was it was pride. So maybe for you, maybe your view of God is limited because of pride. 
Because you think you know better than everyone else. Your parents, your husband, your wife, brother, your sister, your God. Pride. Other things that block us from seeing God is shame. And all the time we are, we are listening to the voice of the world and we, our view of God is being diminished. It's being limited. It's being blocked. Because we're, we're, we're holding on to things that we need to let go of. Sometimes they're good things. I'm not saying they're all bad things. Sometimes we hold on to our, our previous experiences or, or certain times where, well, this was... I remember back in the day when, when I did this and, and we, we lock ourselves into what God has done in the past and, and we can't see what God is wanting to do today because we keep going back to what God did in the past. I'm asking, is there something that is limiting your view of God's grandeur and bigness and power and greatness? Is there something maybe you're holding on to that you need to stab? That's a bit dramatic. But you need to let go. You can sing that song if you like. Not the stabbing song, the let it go song. (laughs) (laughs) Hotel California. Anyway, moving on. Um, There'll be disappointments. There'll be disappointments in God. I prayed for this and it didn't happen. I believed for this and it didn't happen. I, I trusted you for this and it didn't happen. And so I'm disappointed. So I'm not going to believe or trust or pray again. Those things can hold us back from, from a revelation and a view of God. That is truth. Is there something that you need to let die? Maybe it's self. She be self-centered, are we? Really, let's... One last brush out of hand. But when you, when you had an honest look in yourself in the mirror and you think about your life, we can be so self-centered. We can be so self-consumed. We can be so, I want, I want, I want, I want my own, I did it my own way, I, I got what I wanted. And that, and that selfishness, that's what it is, it can hold us back from experiencing all of God. We've got a list of other things. Busyness. Priorities. Friends, all these things can, can hold us back from, from viewing God in His glory and, and experiencing all that God has for us. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's attitudes, behaviors. Maybe unhelpful relationships. Maybe, maybe the idea of control, that I need to control and manage my, 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 my faith or my journey. I need to be in charge of it all. And while we're trying to define it and put it in a box, and where we're blocked from a vision of God that can totally revolutionize our life because we're, we're trying to keep it in our own safe little place. Maybe control needs to die. Maybe words people have spoken over you. You'll never achieve that. And those words declared over you, maybe when you were younger or older, maybe by maybe even by a pastor or a leader or a close friend or a mum or a dad, maybe those words are so deep in your heart that, that it's blocking and, and that you're saying, like, God, I, I, want to, I want to see you, but I, I've got all this stuff going on in my head. Friends, it's time to let those things die. In the year that Uzziah died, Isaiah 
had a vision of God. God does not want to withhold His goodness and His glory from us. He doesn't want to withhold Himself from us. The problem is, we withhold ourselves from Him. We limit ourselves. Oh God, I haven't got time or... Wouldn't it be great? I might get our worship team up, thanks. Yes. Wouldn't it be great if you could look back on your life and you can say, it was in 2023, it was the year that I finally surrendered pride. It was the year that pride died in my life. It was the year that fear died in my life. I'd love it if, if, if one day you'd look back to this moment, maybe this, this message, maybe this time, maybe this year, and realize it was that year, that time, and God spoke to me, and I, I decided to finally lay it down and let it go and move on. And, and in that space, I saw all of God because while I was holding back, I was missing who He was. That's my prayer for today, that you would remember this year as the year that Uzziah died. It was the year that I finally got to experience. It was the year that I finally got to see and experience the unconditional goodness and grace of God. It was the year I decided to do something about it. It was the year that Uzziah died that I saw God. Friends, God wants to keep revealing himself to you. And I know that you're thinking, I'm not worth it. Why would he want to do that? And maybe you're even here thinking, well, we're talking about these two realms. I don't really believe in this other realm. I believe in this realm. And I sort of think about this, this spiritual realm. But let me tell you, this is more real than this. This is more true. They're both real. This is more true. The spiritual space, God's domain, God's kingdom is more true than the lies and the mess of this world we live in. And for us to allow, then God is at work trying to merge those together in you. But sometimes it takes death, it takes surrender. Letting go. It takes okay. I'm going to give it away. I'm going to let go. What is it that needs to die? You know. Maybe here you look, something's got it. Maybe there's something, I just don't know exactly what it is. Maybe you're at home and you're wondering what, what, I know something's going on, but I, I can't articulate it. Then you can ask God to tell you what it is. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you some words to pray. You repeat after me if you feel comfortable with it. Say, Heavenly Father, I want to see you. I want to know you. 
show me if there's anything in me that needs to die. Show me if there's anything I need to surrender. Anything I need to let go of. This morning I, I ask through your spirit, Lord, that you would work in hearts. Lord, that you take my human words today and my attempts at trying to communicate your heart to our, to our church family. Lord, you help us to see that, that you don't withhold goodness from us. But Lord, I pray you help us to see the things that we're withholding from you. And Lord, that today that we'd be willing to let it die, to release it, to surrender it. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see all you are, to see your goodness and your majesty and your glory. Lord, help us to remember that you are still on the throne, even when this world can seem a mess that you are still on the throne and we can anchor ourselves in you. And Lord, I ask that you would just open our eyes in the same way that Elisha prayed for his servant. Lord, open our eyes to see the reality of your kingdom, the truth of your kingdom. Help us to be able to know what is coming from heaven and what's coming from earth. And help us to align ourselves with heaven. Help us to be a conduit of heaven and earth. 